Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 for me. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll begin. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Does it ever feel hard being a Christian? Does it ever feel like really hard? Almost like running a marathon like the Hebrew writer is talking about here, a race of endurance. Now, I know there's a couple of you weirdos out there that like to run marathons, but for us normal people, running a marathon is like failing lungs and legs. Does Christianity ever feel like that? I think we want to say no. I think we want to say no because I know who God is and because I stand in his grace and because I know where I'm going, it's not hard. But I think we know it's not really true. And what I think we're trying to say when we have that mindset is that it's worth it. Right? If someone asks us, is it worth it all you have to give up? Is it worth it what you have to go through to be a Christian? We would answer, absolutely, yes, it's worth it. But that doesn't mean it's always easy. Have you ever read any of the Psalms? Did you know that the majority of the Psalms are what we call laments? Men who knew God, but they were going through tough times. And you just look at the lives of people throughout Scripture. Job questioned God. Jeremiah wondered if he was faithful, and Paul asked for the thorn to be removed from his side. And if you're not convinced, just look at the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, just like the prophets that came before, you are going to be persecuted. Christianity is not always easy. And because of that, that's why we have this admonition from the Hebrew writer to look to Jesus. Because of that, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's an interesting argument that the Hebrew writer makes throughout the letter. He, if we could sum it up in a few words, it would be this. Jesus is better. right? Jesus is a better messenger than angels. And Jesus is a better prophet than Moses. And Jesus is a better high priest than the high priest in the temple. Jesus is better. And then you get to Hebrews 11, where we call the Hall of Faith, faithful men and women who live faithfully to the very end. And then you get chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses are those men and women that were faithful in Hebrews 11. And I I think it's tempting to get the picture because he starts to talk about a race that we start thinking these witnesses are sitting in a stand cheering us on as we run our race. And I'm not dogmatic about this, but I don't think that's the picture. I think it's actually a little bit kind of the opposite. I think we are looking to them. We look to how they endured, how they were witnesses to God's faithfulness. And that's what motivates us. But if you've been reading the letter up to this point, you know something is coming. Because there's still someone better to look to. And that's why we have verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Jesus is better. You know, I look at that and I wonder, why did the Hebrew writer even write that? Why did he even put in chapter 12? Is there even a need for that? I mean, when the boss is screaming at you for something that's not even really your fault, it's just really easy to keep your eyes on Jesus, right? And when you have an argument every other night with your spouse that you love more than anyone, it's just really easy to to keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you're not sure if you can make the bills at the end of the month, Piece of cake, right? 
It's not easy. And Ibereta continues to remind these people in the letter that Jesus is better because I think they started to doubt that. I think they started to doubt if Jesus really was better, if they should keep their eyes on him. And we still struggle with that same thing today. The fact is that there were people even that lived during Jesus' time that got to see him with their own two eyes that had that same struggle of keeping their eyes on Jesus. So what I want to do for the rest of this morning is I want to look at a story that involves the Apostle Peter and how he struggled with keeping his eyes on Jesus. And hopefully we can learn how to do just that, even in the midst of doubt. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to begin in verse 22. We're going to read the story about Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. This this is coming just before Jesus feeds what we call the 5,000. It was actually a lot more than that, but what he just got done with that miracle. Verse 23, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I don't know about you, but that story impresses me. I've never walked on water before. Uh, neither had Peter. And did you notice the scene? Jesus had sent them out on this boat, and they've been rowing all night. It says it's the fourth watch, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. It's pitch black still, and they've been rowing all night. They're miserable, worn out. And there's a storm <laughs> Waves and winds beating against them. And in the middle of all that, they see a ghost. Now, that would have been the point where I would have jumped ship, but I wouldn't have been swimming towards the ghost. would have been going the other direction. But notice what Jesus does. When he sees them afraid, he immediately says, don't be afraid. He comforts them. And it's amazing what Peter does. He asks Jesus to come out on the water. And Peter walks on the water. Just just soak that in for a second. He's walking on the water in the middle of a storm. He, He didn't have a history of water walkers to call back upon. No prophet had ever done this before, but he saw Jesus doing it. And so Peter walks on the water. And I think we want the story to end there, don't we? But we soon find out that it begins to sink. I want you to notice in the narrative that it says that he actually made it to Jesus. It said he came to Jesus, right? And we don't know how far off Jesus was. I don't know if he was 100 yards or 10 feet. I'm not sure. But I think there would have been like this in-between point where Peter would have 
stuck a foot out of the boat, which is just amazing. And he gets out of the boat, but there's a point where he couldn't just like reach back to the boat to grab it anymore. And there was a point where he couldn't just reach to Jesus either. I think there was this in-between point. But he's past that now. He's past that. He's come to Jesus. He's there right beside him. But he begins to sink. Does that not sound just like our lives sometimes? Where one moment we are just so zealous and courageous we feel like we can walk on water for Jesus. But then it's like the next week and our faith seems so weak. Why? Why did that happen to Peter? Verse 30 says, When he saw the wind, he was afraid. It's interesting how it puts it. He saw the wind. Now, of course, you can't see wind. Jesus even used that for illustration one time. It's an idiom for the storm, right? He sees the effects of the wind. But notice it doesn't say that Peter started to feel the storm or feel the wind increase. It doesn't say that Peter began to hear the storm or hear the wind increase. It says that he saw it. You know what that implies? He took his eyes off Jesus. He was looking at the storm. He began looking at the circumstances around him. Why did he do that? Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Maybe just for a moment, Peter doubted if Jesus was stronger than the storm. He doubted if if Jesus really had him, if Jesus was there for him in the midst of this storm. And so he began to sink. Have you been there? Have you been there where you've been so close to Jesus before and you've known who he is? But now there's a storm in your life and you feel like you're beginning to sink. If that's you this morning, you have an opportunity This isn't your moment to doubt, and it's not your moment to start sinking. It's your moment to keep your eyes on Jesus and to walk in faith. I want to share with you three keys that I think will help us with that that comes from the story. Number one, I think we need to recognize that Jesus is in control. Now, if you don't remember any of these other points, this is the most important one. We need to recognize that Jesus is in control. Look at verse 32. This is key. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. As soon as they got back to the boat, the storm turns off. Is that just coincidence? Do you see what Matthew's trying to show us here? Jesus was in control the whole time. He could have turned the storm off whenever he wanted to. He could have turned it off when Peter was walking to him. He could have turned it off when Peter was in the boat. He could have turned it off before it ever turned on. Jesus was absolutely in control control of the situation he was in control this all starts with jesus that that sounds kind of obvious but i think so many times when things are out of control when we're in the middle of the storm we start thinking about us what can i do what could i have done better how could i have prepared better me 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 that's not the question to ask in the story the first question is what can jesus do that's what peter should have been asking do you realize this isn't even really a story about Peter? Say, wait a minute, this is a story about Peter walking on the water. It's not really about Peter. This is a story about Jesus. Peter never would have walked on the water if Jesus didn't give him the power to walk on the water. In fact, the other two times where the story is recorded in Mark and John's Gospel, they don't even mention Peter. It's just Jesus. And you probably have a heading above verse 22. What does it say in your Bible? Jesus walks on the water. I think they got it right. 
When we read the story, our eyes really shouldn't be on Peter. Our eyes should be on Jesus because he's in control. Because he's in control, he's, he's aware of what's going on. Can, can you imagine the apostles in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it's dark out? And, and they don't know where Jesus went. He, he left them before this. Does Jesus even know what's going on? Is he aware that we're being tormented by these waves? Does he know? Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew. He's aware of the storm that you're in. Think about that for a second. Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand, the throne of God right now, knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what you feel. He knows. And because he's in control, and because he's aware, you're not out of his reach. Even if the apostles thought Jesus knew what was going on out on the Sea of Galilee, there's not another boat. They took the only boat from the shore. Jesus isn't here. I mean, he's calmed a storm before, but he's not here to help us now. Here he comes, walking on the water, and he walks right up to the boat. Amazing. They weren't out of his reach. Jesus came to them in the middle of the storm. And the first thing that he tells them is don't be afraid. He comforts them in the middle of the storm. Now, that, that means something because Jesus is in control. Now, now, if I called up Ricky J one morning and I said, Ricky, I'm sorry, transmission went out of my car. I can't make it today. Sorry, I got to get it fixed. And, and he answers back on the other line, uh, don't worry about it, Jansen. Don't be afraid. Uh, I'll be over in just a second and we'll fix it right up. You think that would comfort me very much? Ricky J is a great guy, but he doesn't know how to fix my transmission. Neither do I. Right? That wouldn't be very comforting. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, it means something because he's in control. It's interesting in verse 24. I don't know exactly what your version says. The ESV says that they were beaten by the waves. That word's interesting. It, it literally means to be tormented. Tormented. And it's, it's interesting to look at where that's used elsewhere in the New Testament. A handful of times, it's used in the Gospels to talk about the demons talking to Jesus, don't torment me. And it's used another handful of times in the book of Revelation in the apocalyptic images. And there's only one other time in the New Testament where it's used in like a narrative form and to describe someone's life. And it's actually one of Peter's writings. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, where it talks about righteous Lot being tormented while he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what the very next verse says, the whole reason why Peter brought it up? It says that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. If you're being tormented, if you feel tormented in your life right now, Jesus knows how to rescue you. He knows because he's in control. Why does it feel hard to believe that sometimes, to know that sometimes? Because sometimes he lets the winds blow really hard. And he doesn't always turn the storm off when we want him to. Sometimes we wish he would have turned the storm off weeks ago. Or months ago, or years ago. But even in the middle of it, we have to recognize that he is in control and keep our eyes on him. Secondly, sometimes we just need to get out of the boat. 
I want you to think with me past the, the image here on the water with Peter for a second. And think about further on in Peter's life. Specifically in Acts chapter 4. There was a storm brewing in Acts chapter 4. Do you remember? Peter is looking the Sanhedrin right in the eyes. The very men that had just put Jesus on trial and had him killed a few months ago. And he's staring them down right in the face. And they're telling Peter, quit talking about Jesus. Remember what he says to him? Whether it is right to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen. See what's going on? After Jesus had left the earth, after he had ascended, after Peter couldn't see him with his own two eyes anymore, he was seeing Jesus more clearly than ever. This is a different Peter. Just a few months ago, he said, Jesus, I will go to the death for you. I will die for you. And then a little servant girl comes up to him. And she says, have you seen Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And Peter says, no. And he says it again and again. This is a different Peter in Acts 4. And I suggest to you that we never get the Peter in Acts 4 if Peter doesn't get out of the boat in Matthew 14. At the beginning of James' letter, we are told that trials, the testing of our faith, produces steadfastness. Why hadn't Jesus turned the storm off earlier? Why was he letting the disciples be tormented by the storm? Why did he let Peter walk out on the water in the middle of it? He wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to strengthen Peter. And you know, we, probably at this point, we think, wait a second, Jansen, we're, we're kind of putting Peter up on a pedestal here. This whole story is about Peter's failure. I mean, he sank. No, he didn't. Wait a second, Jansen, did you drink your coffee this morning? We just read about how he sank. No, he didn't. The text says he began to sink. You know why this isn't a horror story? Why it doesn't end with Peter motionless, lifeless on the bottom of the seafloor? It wasn't because he was such a strong swimmer. It's because Jesus saved him. Peter got to experience something that the other 11 that were still in the boat didn't get to experience. As he was grasping helplessly for water and for air, slipping through his fingers, he felt Jesus save him in his worst moment. And that was doing something to Peter. That was strengthening him. And if we think, I can't get out of the boat because my faith is too weak, because my faith isn't complete yet, you're actually ready to walk on the water. <laughs> Jesus knew that Peter's faith was weak. He knew that it was incomplete. And that's why he told him to come out on the water. Because he wanted to strengthen him. Yes, Peter doubted. Yes, he failed for a second, but he got to experience Jesus saving him in the middle of the storm. Sometimes getting out of the boat is going to be like an active thing, actively doing something. We probably all have someone in our life, a friend, a family member, a coworker that we know needs to hear the gospel. We know they do. And we can make so many excuses. We can doubt if, if they really even want to hear it. We can doubt if whether we are equipped to tell them something. But you see what we're doing? We're putting all the power on us. 
Peter didn't walk on the water because he was so good at walking on the water. When we share the gospel, we're just sowing a seed. We're just sowing a seed. The power is in the gospel, not in us. We need to understand that. And sometimes it's kind of actively not doing something. Uh, If you don't know, I went to Florida College for three semesters, a year and a half, and I did the unthinkable. I left Florida College without a wife. I know, I know. They they did a Mythbusters episode. They didn't think it could be done. I did it. I know. And further than that, it's like five years after Florida College, I was 25 years old, still single. wasn't because I didn't want a wife. I think it goes unspoken most of the time, but, but there's a real pressure, I think, especially for young Christians, in finding a spouse. I felt it. I know. And I think it can be really easy to start doubting in the middle of that storm, if you want to call it that. Doubting, am I going to find someone? Does, does God know I need someone? Is that someone there? Maybe we can start making compromises. I just really want companionship, so I don't really care if they really love God or not. Or I know they don't have the same exact values that I do. Even in the middle of that storm, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Sometimes it's not really an active thing at all. Sometimes it's just simply trusting, just trusting in God's plan. And you know what your situation is, if that is what you need. But we need to get out of the boat. Finally, quickly, sometimes we need to get back on target. The fact is that sometimes we're going to sink. We're going to start sinking. We are going to have doubts. And even when Peter began to sink, he teaches us a lesson. Because when he began to sink, he didn't just quit. He didn't just quit on Jesus. He didn't say, okay, well, Jesus had me before, but now I'm sinking, so we'll just figure out how strong of a swimmer I am. No, what does he do? He immediately cries out to Jesus, save me. He redirects his eyes right back to Jesus. And Jesus saves him. If you feel like you're sinking, it's not time to quit on Jesus. Don't let hopelessness Don't let pride keep you from getting your eyes back on him. And notice how Jesus saved him. Immediately, he reached out and grabbed Peter. Notice, though, notice. So he doesn't let his head bob up and out of the water like ten times. You really need to learn your lesson, Peter. No, he immediately holds on to him. But notice the storm doesn't turn off. The storm doesn't turn off. It's not until they get back in the boat. Jesus isn't always going to turn our storm off when we want him to. But we can know, we can know that he's holding on to us. And he's not going to let us sink. I want to end where we began in Hebrews 12. The Hebrew writer is telling us to look to Jesus. To keep our eyes on Jesus. Again and again, Jesus is better. But so often it's hard for us to do that. It's hard for us to keep our eyes on him. It's hard for us. It was hard for Peter. It was hard for those in Hebrews 11. The hall of faith, it wasn't easy for them. And I know it's not easy for some of you this morning. I know some of you are going through storms right now. I know some of you have been through storms. 
Storms that I can't even imagine going through. I look at it and I think, what would I have done? How would I have handled that? I don't know. But you're still here. You've endured it. Do you realize that this list in Hebrews 11 isn't exhaustive? you realize that it's not static? Those of us that continue to endure the storm, to keep our eyes on Jesus, are being added to that great cloud of witnesses. So even some of you I look to, to be strengthened. But there's still someone better. He went through storms. He was despised and rejected. He died. He chose to die. Even when he knew his closest friends were going to desert him. His own people, his own nation, his own flesh and blood. I'm not just talking about the physical nation anymore. His own flesh and blood. His own creation. His own children. Yelled to heaven. Crucify. Crucify. But he endured it. And he died, but he rose again. And he did that for you. So look to him. Look to him. If you knew uh, all that I, I didn't know, if you knew how often I had doubts, you would probably wonder why I even stand up here. But there's one thing I do know. I know what I desire more than anything. I know what I want more than anything. And it's not a new car. It's not for my football team to win. It's not for my investments to grow. I want to see him. I want to see Jesus. I want his glory to just surround me. And I want to worship him forever. We call it heaven. Until I get there, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And I hope that you will too. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.